Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of Full Press Coverage and BostonSportPage.com. Well, every football fan's favorite time of year, NFL playoff time, has finally arrived, and I couldn't be more excited because this promises to be one of the most unpredictable postseasons in modern memory. However, this year's playoffs have a very tough act to follow in week 18, which brought us arguably one of the strangest, never-before-seen, heart-palpitating games ever last Sunday night in Vegas. And Hal, do you think the 2021 playoffs could top that, dare I say, legendary regular season finale we saw between the Raiders and the Chargers? If it does, it's going to be something. But, you know, talk about a fantastic finish to a fantastic season that had everything and boy that game had everything as well that was a fun one to watch for sure it absolutely was hell and before we talk about uh wild card weekend and the latest news from around the nfl and there is a lot right now uh let's discuss our main takeaways from week 18 what was your main takeaway i'm gonna look at two teams that you know didn't make it indianapolis you live by Carson Wentz, you die by Carson Wentz. I hate to say it, um, you know, certainly not the only person saying I told you so there. Um, such a sad finish for the Colts after such a strong season to, to go out and get smacked around on both sides of the ball by the Jacksonville Jaguars and the L.A. Chargers. I was a team that talented year after year on the outside looking in at playoff time, nine and eight loaded with talent best young quarterback in the nfl not named patrick mahomes in there uh loaded with talent on the defensive side and they're sitting at home watching the playoffs i chargers doing chargers things year after year i just don't understand it indeed and the chargers are going to be looking at several moments from that game on sunday that could have gone differently and if they did go differently the chargers would easily be playing this weekend and I want to focus all my energy on one of those two teams the Colts because here's a team yes uh, Carson Wentz isn't necessarily a franchise quarterback per se but they just always play so hard and they are a tough out for almost any team given the remarkable strength of that roster and not only that I think it's clearer than ever that Frank Reich is one of the 10 best head coaches in the NFL right now he's a guy that just knows how to play to win the game as opposed to play not to lose the game and uh, he just gets the most out of everybody on that team and they clearly play for him week in and week out but that performance in Jacksonville of all places on Sunday was so uncharacteristic of a Frank Wright coach team wasn't it it certainly was that is not what you've come to expect from Frank Reich you expect to see um, you know, they're the team that's bringing it. They're the team that's showing up with the energy and they're going to out physical the opponents. And they got the tables turned on them by a Jacksonville team that was two and 14 going into that game. And, and Daryl Bevel had his team ready to go. And uh, wow. It, I mean, it was just a shocking performance on both sides of the ball. 
That being said, I also think Sunday was Trevor Lawrence's best game as a pro to date. And I think Jaguars fans should be encouraged that they saw the guy they thought they were drafting with the first overall pick last spring. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, we've been saying that about uh, Trevor Lawrence all season long. You know, he doesn't have the offensive line. He doesn't have the offensive tools. Doesn't have the running game. He didn't have the right head coach there. And despite all of that, the talent was shining through. Yes, there were some frustrating times. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence looks just like Peyton Manning and Troy Aikman did. They got beat down their first season, but they bounced back and that talent shone through. And I expect the same in the future from Trevor Lawrence. I hope Trevor Lawrence goes on to have an amazing legendary NFL career as well. And it's time to play our favorite game right now. Truth or exaggeration. And you know how this game works. I make a statement and you determine whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with the Chicago bears of the three current GM openings, the bears being one, the giants being two and uh, the Vikings being three. The Bears are the most attractive of those positions because of Justin Fields. Oh, definitely, definitely true, without a doubt. That team has a franchise quarterback. Uh, That general manager is walking in with a huge box that needs to be checked, already checked off. Definitely the Vikings are going to be out of the Kirk Cousins game very soon. The Giants... You know, I don't know if Steely Dan's going to be the man um, and, you know, <laughs> got to stay healthy too. But, uh, but for the Bears, no, I mean, no doubt about it with the Bears. Justin Fields is just oozing with talent, charisma. He looks like a superstar in the making. He just needs the right head coach, the right pieces around him. And uh, he should be like Trevor Lawrence, uh, a shining star for a long time. Yes, and uh, in order to get those pieces around to the Bears, cannot botch this GM hire, and uh, it is easily the most attractive. So please, Bears, pick the right candidate. That's all I can say. And focusing a little bit on Super Wildcard Weekend, the winner of Monday night's Cardinals Rams wildcard playoff will lose in the divisional round. Truth or exaggeration? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to go with the truth on that. I don't think either team is blowing the doors off of anybody right now. And you look at what's likely to be played against, you know, if you're looking at a Tampa Bay, a Dallas, um, a Green Bay, I mean, that's, those are some tough matchups there. And you know, I mean, that's the uh, that's just the the way of the world right now in the NFC. As you look at these these top teams, and you see a a Tom Brady, a Dak Prescott, and Aaron Rodgers, uh, there's a reason those teams are at the top of the division right now, and and that's because they have the best quarterback play. And as we know, in the playoffs, uh, uh, who's behind center has a large proportion of why you're successful in the postseason. So, yeah, I, I can say that's definitely a truth. It's a, not an automatic here for whoever survives that Monday night super wild card uh, game. If not an easy road ahead of them and very likely a one and done for the winner. Yeah, I almost see this game as, uh, dare I say, a uh, consolation prize game, so to speak. Like whoever wins just stays alive for one more week and that's it. 
Yeah, you're the sacrificial lamb, you know, <laughs> whichever of those quarterbacks you face. And moving on to the Minnesota Vikings, who last night in a historic first requested to interview Eagles Vice President of Player Personnel Catherine Rach for their GM job. And this is the first time such a request has gone out to a woman. And Catherine Rach is believed to be the highest ranked female NFL player personnel official in history. So truth or exaggeration, the Vikings should make even more history and hire Catherine Rach as their new GM should her qualifications match those of the top male candidates for the job. Yeah, I mean, definitely. If she matches up, no doubt about it. Uh, it's, you know, you've got to pick the best general manager. And if she has those qualifications, if she's the the best candidate right there, then definitely she should become the general manager. She's young. She's intelligent. She checks those boxes. She has the experience, um, you know, a lot of time in the Canadian Football League as well, uh, earning her stripes. Definitely, definitely, um, you know, if she can, uh, you know, if she's on equal footing with anyone else, then there's no reason why she shouldn't be considered one of the favorites for that position. Absolutely. As I said on this podcast in the summer, uh, it is only a matter of when we get a female GM in the NFL. Granted, there was a female general manager with the Eagles in, in the 80s, but she was just merely promoted by her father, who was the owner at the time. And that uh, wasn't really a legitimate GM hire, so to speak. Uh, that was more nepotism than based on merits. This will legitimately be history because it would be the first time a woman has been hired to be an NFL GM based on her football merits. And that's why this is a big deal. And it's not just Catherine Rage in this league. Look at Kelly Klein, who's a George Payton's top assistant with the Broncos. She could be in line for a GM job in the next several years. So this is only the beginning of a revolution in the National Football League. We're going to have women running all these teams in the years ahead, folks. So get ready. And staying in the NFC North, how about those Detroit Lions concluding the season off with an impressive win over the Packers? Granted, the Packers decided to pull their starters at the end of the first half, but the fact that they played Rodgers and those starters very competitively has to be very encouraging. So truth or exaggeration, the Lions will win six to seven games in 2022. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely a truth. I mean, this team is not a typical uh, three-win NFL team. This team is talented enough. They should have, you know, short of some some bad breaks, some uh, untimely injuries. Uh, you know, it, it was one of those everything that can go wrong will go wrong se seasons for them. And they're a better team than their record showed. And they're in a position where, you know, just another year in the system is going to help a lot of these young players that year of experience behind them. Uh, they should be able to be very active this offseason as well in the draft and free agency and continue to add pieces to that uh, offense and defense. So, yeah, I, I definitely see Detroit as six wins. Uh, that should be the line. I might even take the over on that. I would have to agree with you, my friend. And back to the playoffs, the 49ers and Raiders are the teams that nobody, and I mean nobody, wants to face in the playoffs. Truth or exaggeration? 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, they're they're tough matchups. There's no doubt about it. Uh, especially San Francisco, because if they, that offense and running game gets clicking, it doesn't matter who they're playing against. Uh, they can take anybody out any week. Uh, the Raiders. I, I don't know what's going on with the Raiders. I still don't know what's going on with the Raiders. And we've gone through 18 weeks of this season here uh, with the Raiders already. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're hot four-game winning streak going in, but, uh, you know, could have lost easily all four of those games. I think by the total was like, I think they won the four games by about 10 points. So, I, I'm not, you know, the Raiders have that explosive offense potential, but haven't seen it enough this season. 49ers, I could say it's a truth. Raiders, yeah, a little bit of an exaggeration there. And moving on to the team, the Raiders vanquished from playoff contention on Sunday night, the Chargers. Long-term, the Chargers will regret hiring Brandon Staley over Brian Dable. Truth or exaggeration? You know, maybe. Yeah, God, that's a tough one there. I, you know, I'm on the Brian Dable bandwagon, so I have been. I don't understand why he's not a, he wasn't a head coach two years ago, let alone last year with his credentials. You know, I think the, the biggest problem for Brandon Staley is, uh, you know, implementing the offense this year with Joe Lombardi, the offense wasn't as um, strong as it should have been what was expected. And for a defensive mastermind, uh, you know, I don't expect a team with the talent that they have on defense to be 29th in um, defensive scoring. So that's really the eye-opening part. I don't know who Brian Dable would have brought in for a defensive coordinator, but if they were 29th out of 32 teams, I think there'd be a lot of people pretty upset about that. So, um, you know. But this is long-term. Long-term, but long-term. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I'm the Brian Dable, so I'm going to say truth on this because I think wherever Brian Dable lands, that team is in with one heck of a head coach, and it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, long-term down the road, we're all scratching our heads and saying, you know, why didn't this team hire Dable? Why did this team pass over Dable? So, yeah, definitely the Chargers will be one of the many teams that are questioned uh, why they passed him over so yeah i'll go with the truth on this one and to conclude truth or exaggeration for this week the new york giants are currently the worst team in the nfl yeah uh, truth truth uh they're, they're pretty bad and you know that's the uh dave gettleman experience there right for there for you um have a horrible general manager who brings in no talent and then fire your head coach because he can't win with that horrible talent that your general manager brought in. That Welcome to the New York Giants, the worst team right now, probably based off the last few years of what they've been doing at general manager, at head coach. Yeah, I mean, they're the, they're the laughing stock of the NFL right now. They don't have a Trevor Lawrence to pull them up. They're not going to find one this year. They're starting over. And the cupboard's already bare. Giants, you're the worst. Oh, absolutely. And uh, to talk about uh, 
a play call uh, that is like saying, please fire me. Joe Judge on third and nine, can deep in their own territory, calls a quarterback sneak instead of giving his guys a chance to make a play? I mean, what were you thinking, Joe Judge? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe John Mara was even considering keeping you around. Oh, you know, and I mean, and for Judge, you know, we saw that we knew the writing was on the wall right when he first accepted ownership, shoving uh, offensive coordinator Jason Garrett down his throat and accepting him. He should have put his foot down day one on the job and said, I'm not accepting that. I'm bringing in my own offensive coordinator. The Giants offense has been terrible. I mean, the defense isn't good, but it's not terrible. Um, You know, Patrick Graham had a pretty good year as a defensive coordinator, considering what he had to work with. And, you know, Joe Judge in the offense, yeah, you're not going to win with Mike Glennon. You're not going to win with Jake Fromm at quarterback. Um, You know, Kenny Galladay was just a terrible, terrible signing. I mean, Joe Judge didn't draft Saquon Barkley high in the NFL draft. He, you know, didn't stake a high draft pick on Daniel Jones. Uh, This just uh, covered his bear kind of franchise right now but yeah that quarterback sneak that was throwing your hands up saying let's go home i'm done with this it's over no chance just pitiful pitiful oh oh definitely and speaking of coaching let's talk about the latest developments in the nfl coaching carousel and uh, albert breer I really love Albert Breer. He's one of the best NFL reporters on the beat. Uh, he is the uh, lead NFL reporter for Sports Illustrated for a reason. But uh, he and all of us, dare I say, were blindsided uh, because Albert Breer and several others were expecting far less than normal uh, head coach openings in the NFL. But look where we're at right now. One quarter, the entire NFL, eight teams are now looking for new head coaches, and we start with the Bears. And like they're doing with their GM search, Chicago is casting a wide net in order to find their next head coach. Yet two names generating the most buzz happen to be Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable and Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, who played for the Bears on that 1985 defense. And while you can make a case for either in most of the other head coach openings, do you think it would be, dare I say, a colossal mistake for the Bears to hire Leslie Frazier over Brian Dable, given the presence of giant Justin Fields? Yeah, I mean, for the Bears, the, the number one priority has to be building around that, uh, you know, franchise quarterback that you have. They don't come around very often. You know, it's easy for teams to somehow screw that up. I mean... You know, we've seen it happen so many times, high draft pick quarterbacks, wrong situation, too many head coaches, too many offensive systems, um, never get that right fundamentals in the NFL, aren't out on the right foot, and it all falls apart. So Brian Dable has the track record. He's done it. I mean, all he has to do is walk into that interview and say, look at Josh Allen. Justin Fields is starting way up here. Josh Allen had a lot of talent, but coming into the NFL, he wasn't Justin Fields, you know? So, I mean, that's all he's got to say. And, you know, the Bears should be just passing over the blank check. 
But if you're Leslie Frazier, I mean, great leadership, has the experience, has done it in the NFL before, uh, you know, Bears bloodlines, you already mentioned that. Uh, great for the, fr you know, the franchise is going to love that. But he had better come in with an offensive coordinator on his hip and a plan to that how he's going to develop Justin Fields. And otherwise, if he doesn't have that all lined up and to their satisfaction, right out the door. It, it's got to be that simple. It's all about Justin Fields. From one of my favorite teams to one of my other favorite teams, the Denver Broncos. And they got rid of Vic Fangio on Sunday morning. And as of right now, there appear to be two front runners for that job. Cowboys defensive coordinator and former Falcons head coach Dan Quinn and Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. Which of them would be the better hire and why? Yeah, I mean, I think for Denver, um, Dan Quinn's going to be very, very attractive. He has that defensive background. He's, um, you know, made his mistakes. He's on that second time around. You're going to be gun shy with first time head coaches. Certainly Hackett is very intriguing with that offensive background, but for Denver, it's not really as much about the head coach, but you know, what work gets done this um, off season by the, front office to bring in a quarterback because they're loaded on offense. They're loaded on defense. I mean, wide receiver core, fantastic offensive line, young, talented, growing the defensive front. If the linebackers stay healthy and we know Patrick Sertain, Justin Simmons, I mean, dynamite combo there in the defensive backfield loaded on both sides. It's all about who they bring in for the quarterback. So as far as the head coach, you're going to want somebody who's knows what they're doing there. So as much as I love the idea of Hackett and the young offensive mind, um, you know, that's not always the best situation, the leadership, having the team, both sides of the ball behind him. I, I really like Dan Quinn on that side. I actually agree with you here, Hal, believe it or not. And one of the reasons why is because the Broncos in this head coach hire, they have to keep in mind if there is a major quarterback that could become available via trade, we need to hire a head coach that will greatly appeal to him. And the latest intel is that Aaron Rodgers is far more likely to stay in Green Bay than he is to go to Denver. And Russell Wilson, the latest intel suggests that it's over for him in Seattle. And one of the teams he would consider waiving the no trade clause for is the Denver Broncos. And what better guy to potentially lure Russell Wilson over to Seattle than the guy who was the defensive coordinator for that Super Bowl winning Seahawks team, Dan Quinn, who Russell Wilson still has a very good relationship with. If uh, they think that they have a far better chance of getting Russell Wilson than they do Aaron Rodgers, Dan Quinn's a, a no-brainer hire. Plus, Dan Quinn is pretty damn good at identifying the offensive coordinators. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, I, I was surprised you agree with me, David, but glad to hear it. All right. <laughs> All right. And on to the worst team in the NFL, the New York Giants. And after Joe Judge got fired, one name that immediately came up was Ravens defensive coordinator Don Week Martindale, who almost got the job over Joe Judge two years ago. 
But another candidate that John Mara really loves, according to uh, Peter Schrager, NFL insider for the NFL on Fox and the host of uh, uh, Good Morning Football on NFL Network, uh, he says that former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores is a candidate that really, really, really has Mara's eye. That said, Flores is going to be in huge demand and should have multiple offers. And I'm thinking of a certain other team he's going to get an offer from that might be more attractive to him, believe it or not. And uh, let's say the Giants lose out on the Brian Flores sweepstakes. Should Week Martindale be their immediate plan B? If Martindale's willing to go over there, I mean, that's easily the least attractive head coaching um, situation right now. I mean, my God, I mean, you know, they've got to get a general, it depend, you know, it's going to depend who's general manager there for the Giants, uh, number one, as far as who they pick there. But I mean, they're still paying Pat Shermer. They're paying Joe Judge now. They're going to be paying three head coaches at the same time next season. This is, uh, you know, it it's, does not make an attractive job right there. So uh, depending on if there's, uh, you know, who's in there as the general manager, because apparently if you're not playing nice with the general manager these days in some markets, um, you know, you're not going to be hanging around there very long as a head coach. So uh, if I'm Martindale, I might want to see, you know, uh, my interview and say, hey, you know, by the way, if you checked out the front office here in Baltimore, there's a lot of attractive, uh, talented, young executives there working for Eric DaCosta that you might want to pluck one and bring one over here. And then he might be a little more comfortable there, I would say. But um, I don't think he or anyone else is, is running to New York for that job right now. Oh, you brought up a good point because the Giants submitted an interview request for one of those Baltimore executives, Joe Hortiz. So if they hire Hortiz as GM, then Martindale would make a ton yeah, of sense under definitely. that circumstance. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, you know, just with that and, you know, like we, um, the, the Brian Flory situation there in Miami, I mean, well, let's oh. let's talk about that. Let's oh. talk about that right now, because th this is exactly our next uh, topic of discussion here. I was shell shocked, dare I say, hearing the news on Monday morning, the Dolphins fired Brian Flores. Oh, my God. Do you think the Dolphins are going to regret doing so in the long run? Definitely. With, without a doubt. Um, you know, this screams of. You know, Detroit uh, letting go of, uh, what was it, Jim Caldwell yes. there and bringing in Matt Patricia and just watching the franchise take a nosedive. And, you know, this isn't the next step up. That was a huge step down. And I think the Dolphins are going to find that same situation. I was, you know, a shell shocked is certainly the word. I, I figured they'd be throwing Brian Flores a parade after they beat the Patriots for the second time this season in the final game of the season. Uh, you and I were talking about Brian Flores as a NFL coach of the year candidate for the way he, he historically turned this team around. I mean, to start out one and seven and finish over 500. I mean, that's just unprecedented. And yes, um, you know, he certainly didn't seem to, except um, assistant coaches that didn't match his intensity, work ethic, uh, results, whatever that was, and had no problem churning through them. And yes, he probably wanted more power and control over the organization. And, you know, 
Um, I understand that. And I think part of the reason, you know, we saw Brian Flores uh, gone is that it's, you know, it's difficult to be a black head coach in the NFL and try to assert yourself. And I think that worked against him in Miami. And that is patently unfair. Um, we've seen plenty of other head coaches with power grabs that aren't treated that way. So I think that certainly plays a role in that as well. But especially for Miami, I mean, just the fact that the work that he did, especially these last two years, um, you're going to fire your head coach with a winning record and keep the general manager who uh, traded up to get to a over Justin Herbert. Explain to me how that makes any sense. Uh, I definitely understand uh, being an African-American head coach in the NFL is very difficult, but keep in mind, Chris Greer, the guy he was apparently in a power circle with, he's African-American as well. He's a GM. Right, exactly. Yes. But uh, Chris Greer's a track record definitely does not um, condone keeping him on while firing Brian Flores. And it's a sign of a dysfunctional Miami Dolphins organization. That said, let's talk about what the Dolphins are going to do next. Uh, owner Stephen Ross is clearly targeting somebody with previous head coaching experience. And three of the top names for the Dolphins, Leslie Frazier, who we just talked about, Dan Quinn, we just talked about, or Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph, he has history with the Dolphins organization, and uh, Chris Greer has a long-standing relationship with him. Which of those candidates would make the most sense to succeed Brian Flores? Yeah, I, I think Vance Joseph... Uh, with the ties, um, not looking to, um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to have any power struggles with Vance Joseph. Uh, you know, he made his mistakes in Denver, hopefully learned from them uh, and experienced a solid head coach. But, you know, out of that group, I mean, for Miami, it's a matter of, you know, you still got to bring in that talent for them to coach and, you really got to worry about that uh, Miami roster. I think Brian Flory's got a lot more out of that roster than there was talent there, especially these last two seasons, the second half of his first season. And I don't know if anybody on the list is you can expect them to do better than he did. And that's a, that's a daunting task, but um, you know, if you, if you're going for uh, even keeled um, smart, Leslie Frazier, Vance Joseph, can't go wrong with them. Um, you know, and of course, Dan Quinn, if he's willing to go to Miami, <laughs> we'll see, um, would certainly be a fine choice. Well, but I think Vance Joseph, as far as what Miami is looking for, is more than likely uh, the top candidate there and most likely to get that job. Yeah, Dan Quinn has history with the Dolphins as well, but Vance Joseph more recent, uh, just to uh, be specific there. And moving on to the other Florida team looking for a new head coach, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And one of the biggest crutches the Jaguars have in their search, GM Trent Balky. Like there are a lot of candidates yeah. that do not want to work with Trent Balky. And that's a big reason why one of the hottest candidates that's emerged for the Jaguars head coaching job, former Texans head coach and current Alabama offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien, uh, given, uh, even though he doesn't want to be involved in personnel this time, what he did as a head coach at Houston and how a lot of players were uh, rubbed the wrong way by him, so to speak, and how he cowardly 
decided to kick a field goal against the Chiefs instead of stopping on their throats. Oh my goodness, that was the end, the beginning of the end of the Deshaun Watson era in Houston. And it had Bill O'Brien's fingerprints all over them. So a worst case scenario, if the Jaguars actually do hire Bill O'Brien as their next head coach, should Trevor Lawrence do all he can to force a trade? Yeah, yes, definitely. I mean, I mean, who wants to go and play for, you know, the head coach who, you know, just ran the Texans into the ground. I mean, let, let's face it there. I mean, um, it wasn't yeah, just on was... the personnel front where he ran him into the ground, though. A lot of players right. uh, felt right. that he uh, didn't well, treat them. Right. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, he gave him away to Arizona for, you know, um, a washed up running back. Like, you know, probably one of the worst trades in NFL history. That said, he's not interested in being involved in personnel. Yeah. This time but... Around, but that's not <laughs> but enough. He... But I mean, the relationship between the head coach and the wide receiver led to the head coach in his general manager role, uh, forcing him, uh, trading him away. That he wasn't traded away because he desperately needed a running back and thought that was the missing piece. He was traded away because the best player on the team and the head coach could not coexist. I wouldn't be rushing to bring that head coach in on a young team in Jacksonville. I mean, that just sounds like a nightmare um, situation there. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, hey, it worked out for Eli uh, Manning, you know, put your foot down, worked out for John Elway, you know, nothing to say, uh, you shouldn't speak up, demand a trade if that situation is that bad, uh, you've got to think of, about your situation, I wouldn't blame Lawrence in the least. Absolutely, and that's exactly why the Jaguars should not hire Bill O'Brien to be their next head coach because I don't think he's even an upgrade from Urban Meyer, dare I say. <laughs> definitely not a clear upgrade, maybe a slight upgrade, but definitely not a clear yeah. upgrade. And uh, going on to the Vikings for a moment, and as we can also tell from their GM search, the Vikings are clearly thinking outside the box when it comes to replacing Rick Spielman as well as Mike Zimmer. Who would be the ideal outside-the-box head coaching hire for the Vikings? I think if you're the Vikings, you're going to try to look at what the Packers did um, as far as, you know, finding that next young leader. Um, you've got to kind of do a little 180 from the Mike Zimmer error here and, um, you know, see if you can find yourself somebody uh, dynamic, young head coach, somebody who can... Um, you know, step in and change that culture there, because I think that's really, um, you know, what they need there. You know, you need to look at, you know, is Eric the enemy who's been passed over so many times, the answer here. Um, somebody you talked about earlier, Nathaniel Hackett might be somebody that Minnesota should really have their eye on uh, to bring in galvanize that on offensive side of the ball um figure it out something like that and you know not go back to those same old candidates over and over again you know i don't want to hear anything about lane kiffin or anything like that um let's find somebody to turn that culture around because that team needs a breath of fresh air um after the intense mike zimmer era i got a good idea for that you just mentioned him 
Patrick Graham, Giants defensive coordinator. Yeah. I think he would be a great hire for the Vikings. Uh, yeah, yes, he might be a defensive guy, but so what? I don't give a damn what side of the ball he's on. Right. You need somebody to give a fresh start and a fresh culture change. Patrick Graham could very well be that guy based on a lot of things I've heard about him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Patrick Graham, fantastic. Came up in the uh, Belichick system, has had a lot of experience in a lot of different coaching um, situations as well. Outside, he's not just specific to the Bill Belichick tree. He has a lot of diverse experience as well. Uh, definitely, like I said, did a great job with that Giants defense that really shouldn't have been as good as it was. <laughs> it wasn't great, but it was a heck of a lot better than it should have been. So, so yeah, I mean, Patrick Graham, I'm sure, you know, the Giants are thinking about keeping him along as defensive coordinator while they're looking for different head coaches, but definitely should be somebody that why not bring him in? Um, you know, he certainly um, gets, you could see the players loved playing defense for him. Uh, and has all of those tools that you would expect uh, somebody in that position um, to be able to, you know, grow these young players. And, and that, like you said, that breath of fresh air, I think that's a great idea. And moving on to the Houston Texans, who today fired head coach David Culley after just one season. And granted, uh, yes, uh, there are upgrades out there, but I personally was not a fan of this move whatsoever because they didn't give David Culley a chance to succeed. They dealt him arguably the worst roster in the league on paper. And yet he overachieved with them, in my opinion. To get a roster like that to four wins just speaks volumes about the job he did. I thought he did a very good job this year. Do you think they made a mistake by letting David Culley go? Yeah, I, I thought that was very strange as well. I thought for sure he would be safe. Um, definitely come back for a second season. I did not see him as a one and done kind of head coach. And, and like you said, I mean, this team, not a lot of talent, um, you know, probably the worst quarterback situation in the league, um, going with third round bat draft pick Davis Mills and, and Tyra Taylor, who was unfortunately injured again for much of the season. Um, you know, stopgap players didn't even have a lot of young talent on offense as well, um, you know, kind of over the hill veterans and a lot of positions on both sides of the ball. It was a very strange roster construction. It seemed doomed to failure. And like you said, I, you know, maybe he got fired for overachieving. He didn't get him the number, didn't deliver the number one pick like he should have. So I don't know what that situation was, but, you know, uh, as of the recording of this podcast, we're down to uh, Mike Tomlin, one black head coach in the NFL, which is mind boggling with a situation where we're at, you know, almost 70% of the players are African-Americans. Yes, that is something to be concerned about. Indeed. That said, I think the Texans are going to increase that number from one to two. And here's why uh, in his report this afternoon, after uh, the Cully fire was uh, made official, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network reported that he expects this position to be filled relatively quickly compared to the others. And let's just connect the dots here. Who's the GM of the Houston Texans? Nick Casario, who was Bill Belichick's right-hand man in the personnel department in New England for many, many years. And thus, he has a long story relationship with another guy looking for work right now, unexpectedly, 
Brian Flores. Does it seem inevitable that the Texans yeah. will hire Brian Flores given his long history with Nick Casario? I mean, I'm hoping it's a situation where Casario was kind of on the fence and leaning towards giving Cully another season. And then Flores unexpectedly became available. Here's a coaching candidate that, you know, he sees as probably the top of his list and never expected to be available um, out there and free to be brought in and signed and figured this is an opportunity I can't pass up to improve the position. You know, sort of like, uh, you know, hey, I, I've got a solid starter here, but I've got a chance to, you know, I didn't expect this Pro Bowl player to be available and hand it to me. So I'm going to take advantage of it. And sure, it's not fair to the guy that's there, but the opportunity to upgrade is too much. So I hope that's how the dots connect. And, um, you know, and I hope that's the reasoning in Houston. Uh, is just the opportunity, the unexpected opportunity to get the guy that they really wanted. That has to be the case because uh, nobody deserves what David Culley just just went through. Nobody. And I mean that sincerely. And I definitely hope that David Culley gets another job very, very quickly as he should. And last but not least, the Las Vegas Raiders. And there's obviously been a lot of smoke as we said last week, connecting the Raiders to Jim Harbaugh should he indeed leave Michigan. But since they made the playoffs, interim head coach Rich Bisaccia, he's made a pretty compelling case for the full-time gig himself. And moreover, um, the players actually love Bisaccia, and that was publicly said by uh, Raiders defensive back Casey Hayward. However, do you think that Jim Harbaugh presents enough of an upgrade for the Raiders to go in that direction instead of just giving the job to Bisaccia? You know, it's, it's a strange situation there in Las Vegas because, yeah, I mean, Bisaccia has, you know, certainly taken advantage of his opportunity. Like you indicated, the players are very vocal about their support for him. And, you know, I almost wonder if this is a situation that's going to hinge on the head coach is kind of going to hinge on what they do with Mike Mayock as well. Uh, you know, are you going to, if you're going to bring back Mike Mayock, Mike Mayock may want to keep Rich Bisaccia at head coach. Absolutely. If you're going to, and, and then if you're going to do a clean rebuild, then you go out and you get the Harbaugh and you say, all right, he's going to be the head coach, total control, whatever. You're right on the money, Hal. And here's why uh, Benjamin Albright, uh, NFL insider for 850 KOA radio in Denver reported that Jim Harbaugh wants to be the de facto GM. If he is to return to the NFL. So uh, if the Raiders want Harbaugh, they're going to probably have to part ways with Mike Mack or demote him uh, to a significantly lesser role if he agrees to it, dare I say. So that is definitely something to watch in terms of the Las Vegas Raiders. And speaking of the Raiders, let's pick these wildcard weekend games. And we start with the Raiders going to Cincinnati to take on Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And uh, this number, courtesy of Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, uh, very striking. When uh, Derek Carr plays... When the temperature is 40 degrees or above, 93.6 passer rating, 7.1 yards per attempt. But in sub-40 degree weather, 70.5 passer rating and 5.8 yards per attempt. And the forecast for Saturday in Cincinnati, 30 degrees. So if the Raiders are to pull off the upset, they're going to need a lot of help from their defense and running game. Can they get it? It's hard to bet against the Raiders right now because... You know, week after week coming down the stretch here, 
I was picking against them nonstop down the stretch. I had given up after losing to Washington, after getting blown out of the water by the Chiefs um, at six and seven. I was done. I had washed my hands of the Raiders, and yet they just found a way week after week, you know, whether it was riding the defense against Cleveland, uh, whether it was the ground game, the grinding out the win against the Broncos and, and such a big role against the Chargers. Uh, well, you know, the, the defense again against the Colts the next week in between there. I mean, you know, that they're just winning and it doesn't just make win, sense baby. to me. It, yeah, you know, just win. You know, they're, they're not forcing a ton of turnovers on defense. They're just making stops. And, you know, they're not playing perfect on the offense. And the, the passing game's hot and cold. And the running game's hot and cold. And, you know, but they, they're just finding a way. But in my heart, I got to look at it and I got to say, wait a minute. You want me to pick against Cincinnati? I I was the only one on the Cincinnati bandwagon here at the beginning of the season. Come on. I've been riding them all year. So I think the Raiders could do it. I just don't think it's going to happen here. I, I've got the Bengals pulling out the win here. I'll make it a close game. I might even put it into overtime, but I've got the Bengals 27 to 24 over the Raiders. I am actually going to go with the Raiders because there's something to be said about late season momentum and teams that rest their starters the final week of the regular season before the playoffs often come out shaky. And that could turn out to be the difference in this game. I am going with the Raiders 23-20. How do they win? Stay tuned for bold predictions. And Saturday night, an AFC East rematch. Your New England Patriots traveling to Buffalo to take on the Bills and the weather for this game, a low of one degree, a high of nine degrees. I smell a repeat of <laughs> that Monday night game in November where the Patriots won and only threw the ball three times. Granted, I think they're going to throw the ball more than three times this time, but I think the weather in this game is going to be enough to favor the Patriots. The Patriots should be able to really run the ball aggressively against the Bills and keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. That alone should give them the win. I like the Patriots. You know, uh, I'd really like to pick the Patriots, you know, wild card on the road, rookie quarterback. You know, I just saw, you know, after coming out of the bye week, the loss against Indianapolis, um, you know, Buffalo coming back and blowing them out in New England, the Dolphins last week, just so many non, so many things you don't expect from a Bill Belichick team, punts being blocked, pick six, fumbles. I mean, so many mistakes in the last quarter of this season. I just don't have faith that they're going to be able to not dig themselves into a hole again. The team's not built to come from behind. They're built to play from ahead. And Buffalo with that tough defense, I just can't see them pulling out to an early lead and holding on like they did in that first game. So I've got to go as much as it pains me, a Buffalo 20, New England 14. Sunday's triple header begins in Tampa where the Super Bowl champs host the Philadelphia Eagles. And with the Bucs uh, thin in the passing game, uh, the Eagles 
may have a chance here, especially uh, if the their two best players on defense. I'm talking about Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave in the middle, going up against those studs on the interior for the Bucks in uh, Ali Marpet and Ryan Jetson, respectively. If they can win that matchup and get to Brady, they have a chance. But that said, I am not going to bet against Tom Brady in this game because uh, the Eagles, uh, they definitely have some uh, old Lions and young Tigers on their team, a healthy mixture. And, uh, and uh, the Eagles, I expect them to cover the spread. But in the end, I think Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Gronk and that running game, if uh, as long as uh, um, that interior offensive line opens up holes in that running game um, with uh, Leonard Fournette, who should be back. And Levante David is back as well. And uh, that is a huge plus for that Bucks defense to try to contain Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Bucks should make more than enough plays to win. I like the Bucks 27 to 20. Yeah, I mean, the, the Eagles are going to have to run the ball, control the clock in order to win the game. They're going to have to punch it in in the red zone. They're going to have to come up with a way to pressure Brady, create a couple of turnovers. I mean, you're basically looking at it's going to have to be a perfect game plan and execution on the road against the defending Super Bowl champions. I think it'll be a close game. I'm going to say it's probably going to be a lower scoring game than most people expect, but uh, I still think I've got to pick Tampa Bay. I just can't see Philadelphia with the upset here. So Tampa 22, Philadelphia 16. Indeed, and moving on to what should be a very fun game. The 49ers traveling to Arlington to take on the Cowboys at Jerry World. And uh, the way the 49ers punched their ticket to the playoffs, that was fun, wasn't it, Hal? Uh, coming back from 17 down at halftime, a Sean McVay-led team had never lost a game in which they led at halftime until last Sunday when Jimmy Garoppolo, of all people, uh, chose the absolute right time to play the absolute best game of his career. Oh, my goodness, that was so amazing to watch. And uh, the 49ers and Cowboys, uh, they have a historic rivalry going back at this. I have a feeling it's going to be a game that only adds to the legend to that rivalry. And when you look at the Cowboys, I love the Cowboys. They have an insanely talented roster. Michael Parsons is going to be a stud at this league for 10 years. Heck, he might be the best defensive player in the NFL right now, for crying out loud, and he's only a rookie. Trayvon Diggs is going to be a stud in the NFL for a long, long time. Dak Prescott, especially if you don't count uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, out of quarterbacks you'd rather have for the next 10 years, Dak Prescott makes the top five clearly. And that passing offense, that running game, that offensive line is amazing. But nonetheless, they have a major Achilles heel, and his name is Mike McCarthy. I think this is going to be a close game, and I do not trust Mike McCarthy to avoid having a major um, shit-your-pants moment there, I say, going against Kyle <laughs> Shanahan. I think he does, unfortunately, have that moment, and it costs the Cowboys in this game. I am going with the 49ers. David, I agree with everything you say. Sound that simpatico alert. <laughs> I am picking San Francisco, and you know what? It's not even going to be close. Woo! San Francisco 38, Dallas 23. How does that happen? You got to listen for the bold prediction. Ben Roethlisberger refuses to die completely. The Steelers punch their ticket into the playoffs with a win over Baltimore and some help, but they have to go play the Chiefs, who they absolutely got demolished by several weeks ago. 
at Arrowhead again. Nonetheless, I think this is going to be a much, much closer game. The Chiefs are a little bit banged up. Tyree Kill doesn't look 100%. Travis Kelsey doesn't look 100%. That said, I still think Patrick Mahomes is going to make far more big plays than Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger is still sad watching him. He just cannot drive the football uh, past the sticks like he used to. It's uh, it's fitting why this is arguably the final year of his career, and uh, it's going to show on Saturday. And he and I, uh, unless that defense really has a 2015 Broncos moment, the Steelers do not win this game. Granted, I do expect them to cover the 12 and a half point spread. And I expect them to keep it competitive for about three quarters, but the Chiefs pull away in the end. Chiefs 30, Steelers 20. Yeah, I, I don't even think it'll be that close, David. I think the Steelers might keep it close for about five minutes. Um, you know, the the Chiefs have been the most consistent football team in the second half of the season, without a doubt. The hottest team coming into the playoffs, without a doubt. And I just can't see any way, um, you know, short of, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick picking off Patrick Mahomes four times, which I'm not even bold enough to put that in my bold prediction. So, um, you know what? I think the score of the last time they played is perfect. Kansas City 36, Pittsburgh 10. And last but not least, that consolation bowl, as we talked about earlier, the Cardinals traveling to SoFi Stadium to take on the Rams on the Monday night edition of Super Wild Card Weekend. It's like flip a coin, dare I say, because neither of these teams played well to conclude the regular season. But that said, it all comes down to that quarterback position. Matthew Stafford has looked absolutely atrocious. He's passed several weeks and Kyler Murray. Yes. He misses DeAndre Hopkins, but I still like him better than Matthew Stafford right now. Heck if, uh, if I had to write the top 10 quarterbacks of the NFL, Kyler Murray would be in that top 10 ahead of Matthew Stafford. And, uh, and it's for that reason. Plus the Cardinals being eight and one on the road. I am going with the Cardinals in this game. It's going to be ugly, pretty low scoring, but I trust Kyler Murray to win the game far more than Matthew Stafford Cardinals 20 Rams 17. Yeah, this is a tough one. The coin flip for me, um, I looked at it. I flipped it. It came up heads. The head that was there was Cooper Cup. So I said, well, you know, can a wide receiver carry his team to victory? Why the heck not? I'll flip it the opposite way. I'll say the Rams win 23 to 20 over Arizona. And now it's time for our bold predictions for Super Wildcard Weekend. I will go first. The Raiders will win 23 to 20 over the Bengals, and it will be mainly because of their defense. Max Crosby will total four sacks, including a game deciding strip sack, which is run in for a 76 yard scoop and score by Nate Hobbs, the unsung rookie hero for that Raiders defense. And what does Nate Hobbs also do in this game? He holds Jamar Chase to just one reception for two yards. If Patrick Sertan uh, can hold Jamar Chase in check, Then Nate Hobbs, with a pass rush in front of him, can hold him in check as well. I am bullish on Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase for a long time. This is only the beginning for them, but their inexperience is going to prove costly in this one, and that is my bold prediction. I like it, David. I do, I do. Um, So my bold prediction, like I said, San Francisco, the big upset, the big points on that good Dallas defense putting up 38 points. How do they do it? 
Debo. 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 Not one, not two, not three. Four trips to the end zone. Why not? Three through the air, one on an end around. I see almost 300 yards of total offense for Debo Samuel between rushing and receiving. When I look into the bold prediction crystal ball here, it's all about Debo in San Francisco right now. And as always, we conclude our episodes with our challenge flags. You go first, Tal. Well, I mean, my challenge flag, I, I'm picking against you. I'm sorry, Mike Tomlin. I think I have to say to get this team this year into the playoffs has to be one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen. So Mike Tomlin, if you can figure out a way, if you can make magic somehow backing into the playoffs, I don't even need you to win against Kansas city. I just, you know, am challenging you to, to somehow get that Pittsburgh team to make me look like an idiot and make this a competitive game go out firing put kansas city on their heels scare them i want to see it if anybody can do it mike tomlin it's got to be you oh i couldn't agree more about mike tomlin there hal and my challenge flag goes to the dallas cowboys look cowboys if you want to make both hal and myself look like total idiots be prepared to beat the 49ers at their own game michael parson said it perfectly he comes from harrisburg pennsylvania where People who get bullied, bully people right back. Be prepared to do just that. When you're on defense and you line up for that amazing 49ers offensive line, be prepared to win your one-on-one battles and get in Jimmy Garoppolo's face. When you're on offense, be ready to pound that rock with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Just beat the 49ers in their own game and match their physicality. Because if you match their physicality, your odds of winning this game go up dramatically. And he is Hal Benton, ladies and gentlemen, of bostonsportpage.com and full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back same time next week to recap wildcard playoff weekend, preview divisional round playoff weekend, analyze the latest news on the coaching carousel, and more hot buzz from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at sportscrunchwithdcrom. And remember, that's crunch with a K. Also, be sure to check out the new and improved sportscrunch.com. And last but not least, I want to give a very special shout out to somebody you hear at the beginning of every Sports Crunch episode. My good friend Catherine just finished her sixth and final season with the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and she was also just selected by her teammates and coaches to represent the team at the 2022 Pro Bowl in Las Vegas. Catherine is truly one of the sweetest, kindest souls I have ever, ever met. And as a full-time ICU nurse, and I can't emphasize that enough, a full-time ICU nurse, she has selflessly and heroically served us all during this COVID-19 pandemic. Catherine, I seriously can't think of anyone more deserving of such an honor than you, and I am beyond blessed to call you my friend. For Hale Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and enjoy the first weekend of play of football, cats and kittens. Stay cool. (laughs) 